This is Crossroads, a Get Religion podcast. It's one story with two very different headlines. Denver Archdiocese sues Colorado over right to exclude LGBTQ people from universal preschool. And here's the other one. Starts out the same. Denver Archdiocese sues Colorado over a preschool program that excludes Catholic schools. Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion, author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. So I read this Denver Post story, and I am left asking a question. Have all religious schools then flunked out of Colorado's funding program for preschools? On a legal basis, that is one of the most important questions here, because what we have to find out here is what's actually at stake with this Colorado law compared with what we've seen in national law, equal access principles, et cetera, Religious Freedom Restoration Act, recent Supreme Court decisions, actually lots of Supreme Court decisions, et cetera. We really need to know that fact. And the mainstream coverage has been singularly uninterested in that fact. And I would note that the Catholic coverage, even though it's better and it asks some key questions, I think because it's essentially Catholic news for Catholic readers, they don't ask that question as bluntly as they should have. Okay, what religious preschools have already been accepted for this quote-unquote universal program as opposed to the ones that are reading the guidelines and saying, okay, we're not going to qualify. For example, a story in another Christian publication, which automatically makes it kind of strange, the the thechristianpost.com checked in with a Christian academy in the if I could say so myself, stunningly beautiful town of Buena Vista, Colorado, right up against the face of the collegiate peaks, the tallest mountains in a state that has lots of tall mountains. But anyway, that's just my Colorado musings from my decade I spent living there. There's this Christian academy there, and in the lawsuit filed by Alliance Defending Freedom, a name which should be very familiar to people now, because of their string of victories at the U.S. Supreme Court. In that lawsuit, it noted that one of the difficulties that they have with their application is that they have segregated bathrooms for girls and boys. And that particularly kicks into play if you're defining boys and girls according to DNA, as opposed to claimed identity or felt identity, or whatever word you want to put there. The school also notes that it does not use pronouns that do not reflect a person's biological slash DNA sex status. The sex assigned at birth, according to the Associated Press style book now, 
So this is the question. And with a curiosity about Colorado, I hope I have displayed by now, I did live there for 10 years and worked at the Rocky Mountain News, one of the two newspapers, the one that's gone now in the city of Denver, and I taught at Denver Theological Seminary for a couple of years. I immediately, I know something about schools in that area, in part because my daughter, for example, attended a clear bias claim here, attended a Missouri Synod Lutheran Church preschool, and then a Missouri Synod Lutheran Church kindergarten program. And if we had stayed, she was going to go straight into the first grade. In Missouri Synod schools in town, you could go all the way through high school. I also know, and I just back to this by looking it up, there's a rapidly growing denomination that really was born in Colorado for all practical purposes called the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And its megachurches, many of which exploded into thousands of members while I was living there, and I had some of my former Denver seminary students were associated with those churches, they have preschools. And I also knew that this is no surprise, Christian Reformed Church, which has lots of schools all over America, they have preschools. Then, this is where I got curious about this, and so I looked it up, and yes, there are Episcopal church preschools in Colorado, and I wonder what the status is of their applications to be accepted by the program. And then to my surpriser, there are a lot of preschools in the greater Denver area, along the Colorado Front Range at least, associated with the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the more liberal mainline Protestant one. So if I wanted to say this to some of our listeners, but certainly not all, here's a way to do a quick follow-up story. Have ELCA preschools already been accepted to this program, or are they applying with no fears about whether they'll be accepted, while Missouri Synod Lutheran preschools in the Colorado Front Range and elsewhere in the state are looking at those qualifications and going, I'm not sure about some of this. And if reporters call those preschools up and discover a difference in terms of the status of those two religious groups or other groups, I don't know if there are any Unitarian preschools in Colorado, but that would be a good thing to look for. My point here is if this is essentially a secular versus religious story, what about those two different brands of Lutheranism? What makes one acceptable to the state and the other is unacceptable to the state? And if you read the Denver Post story, it's very clear what the difference is. The church claims that its doctrines are a problem, but the Denver Post just proceeds to state, as a matter of fact, this is about the desire to exclude LGBTQ plus individuals, and thus the word that's going to get used there is discrimination. Now, when you look at the recent history of Colorado and the U.S. Supreme Court, that leads to another question. 
has the Supreme Court given America a ruling that equates the mysteries of sexual orientation and gender identity, equating those directly with the DNA factors involved in decisions about race? That's the key question, and I think they'll find at this point the Supreme Court has continued to punt on that issue while continuing to grant some pretty important First Amendment right claims of some religious groups, with Colorado being on the front lines. So that's a long way of answering your question. I think a lot of people would read the story and immediately assume this was a secular versus religious situation. But that's not what appears to be the full picture. There definitely is language attached to this that pits some forms of religion that are unacceptable to the government of the state of Colorado for doctrinal reasons against other religious groups that are acceptable to the government of Colorado for doctrinal reasons. That turns into a religion versus religion story, and that to me is much more interesting. So at what point do we say that the media here is not secular? They, they do favor a religious position, albeit one that is almost entirely in line with the progressive culture. Yeah, there's a really interesting question here, too. In effect, are there secular preschools in the state of Colorado that are directly aligned with public schools? In other words, how early are you allowed to do anything as a part of a public school that is pre-kindergarten? Because if you're not, this is essentially private, secular preschools versus private, small-o orthodox preschools versus religious, progressive preschools. And under equal access laws involving aid programs, some listeners will remember we had a decision about this recently with a program up in Maine in which they were giving tuition assistance, I believe either that or it was a tax credit, I forget which, to where parents that wanted to send their kids to private schools in Maine could send them to certain types of religious preschools that were acceptable to the state versus private religious schools that were not acceptable to the state for doctrinal reasons, for reasons that had to do with sexuality. But I believe there was even kind of an implication in there that you couldn't teach that salvation was found through one faith alone. I'll have to look that up, but I believe that was an issue as well, or it certainly was implied. If that's the case under equal access laws, and you're dealing with all private institutions, and some of the language in the lawsuit in Colorado notes this, the state is allowed to make all private schools eligible or no private schools eligible. What the state can't do without getting entangled into doctrine is say some schools are acceptable 
because of their stand on the following religious moral issues, while other schools are unacceptable because of their stance on the same religious and moral issues. You have to give the aid to all private schools or no private schools. And that's really what I think this case is eventually going to end up forcing courts to deal with once again. Terry, what did you make of the uh, Colorado Times recorder coverage of this? Yeah, that's an interesting thing because that's probably a nonprofit website that has sprung up because of the, and I would totally agree with this, the loss of things in Colorado, like the loss of the Rocky Mountain News. The Denver Post and one or two other newspapers basically now has a monopoly over the whole state. So something like the Colorado Times Recorder springs up. But there was one paragraph in that that jumped out at me that went even further than anything the Post said. And it said in conjunction with the lawsuits related to saying that the state couldn't infringe in religious freedom by saying some religious beliefs, some religious preschools were okay and others were not. Let's just read this. You really kind of have to hear it. Both lawsuits were filed by high-profile legal firms with ties to the religious right. DPCA is being represented by attorneys from the Alliance Defending Freedom, the conservative Christian legal advocacy group that has represented Lori Smith of 303 Creative and Jack Phillips of Masterpiece Cake Shop, among other cases involving LGBTQ non-discrimination. The group is considered an anti-LBGT hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center due to numerous statements and legal arguments, including support of recriminalizing sexual acts between consenting LGBTQ adults and linking LGBT, no Q this time, people with pedophilia. Well, anytime you see the Southern Poverty Law Center pulled into a debate, I really think at that point, journalists can quote that if they wish, but they also have to quote criticism of that group and how they've shown up in some other cases. And at the very least, they need to quote someone else establishing why Alliance Defending Freedom and Beckett and other groups of that type are winning more than their share of Supreme Court cases, and not just on behalf of evangelical and Catholic believers, but also Muslims and members of other religious minorities. It's really a kind of a landmine paragraph, but the minute you quote it, it opens up another situation where you need to get information so that the readers have a fuller picture of who these groups are. Where does this go next? Well, the one I mentioned earlier, I think it would be a very basic story to say, here is a story about the religious preschools that have been found acceptable to the state. That's a valid story. Another way to tell that story, especially if you're old school journalism and you're interested in both sides, would be to do what I proposed earlier, which is to contrast the applications of the liberal ELCA preschools versus the conservative Missouri Synod Lutheran preschools. Oh, by the way, I would not automatically assume 
that all ELCA churches in Colorado would have preschools with the exact same policies. I think there are probably some surviving small O Orthodox ELCA congregations in the Colorado Front Range. It'd be interesting just to see if there are differences there. I also, because, and I just know this because of my own work when I was a reporter in Colorado, this isn't the first church-state battle in Colorado over the financial and legal status of preschools. When I was there back in the 1980s on the staff of the Rocky Mountain News, I covered a case where a major official in the Colorado state government struck down the nonprofit status of church-based daycares at the request, frankly, as I was able to, to report, at the request of some for-profit secular daycare centers. And in effect, what they had to state and what they ended up not being able to prove in court. And by the way, back then, boy, everybody from the Unitarians to the Assemblies of God jumped on the church-state issues involved in this old, old case. But the whole idea was that preschool daycare was not a true Christian ministry. It did not involve doctrine enough to claim the nonprofit status of the churches that were creating these institutions and who were providing the facilities and the vast majority of the students. So that came down to what is a church and what isn't a church? What is a ministry and what isn't a ministry? That's not what we're dealing with now. At least that's certainly not what it appears to be. In this case, to repeat the key point, the state seems to want to be able to say that there are good churches and synagogues, and then there are bad churches and synagogues when it comes to being eligible for this program. And I would also say this could also affect some other state programs. In particular, because the discussion you and I had, I believe, two weeks ago, we were talking about coverage of autism and neurodiversity issues. I wonder if the state of Colorado has any aid programs for pre-kindergarten education programs involving neurodiversity. And if that's the case, certain types of educational programs, institutions, preschools, et cetera, are eligible and others are not. That would be a very similar type of question. But it's also possible that those autism programs and things have kind of been rolled into this status of this universal preschool program. But once again, if you use a word like universal, and then you immediately say universal except all of those religious believers, religion beat reporters should jump on the fact and say, this is a religion story. Who's acceptable to the state and who isn't? And if there is acceptable doctrine and then there's unacceptable religious doctrine, isn't the state, key church state word here, isn't the state entangling itself in a matter of religious doctrine and saying that some doctrines are acceptable and others are not? I'm curious a little bit about the timing as well, because as you mentioned before, 
that quote from the Colorado Times recorder, it mentioned Alliance Defending Freedom, and it mentioned a couple of cases that they brought to yeah. the Supreme Court, and they've been successful in every case. They may not have gotten everything they wanted, but they have been successful. And the Denver Archdiocese must look at this and say, this is our time to strike. Is that a legitimate question to ask? Well, if the program's brand new, at this point, what makes it newsworthy is people filling out these applications. I can't really tell from the coverage. Maybe I missed one reference or so. I don't know at this point if we know that checks have already been written to some preschools and not to others. That would be another updating that reporters would need to do. But there's no question that this law is new, and news is by definition new. Now, is there a larger story dating back all the way into the 1980s why the essentially libertarian-style state of Colorado, which at one point had one of the most conservative U.S. senators serving in the U.S. Senate while at the same time having a Unitarian minister, if I remember correctly, serving as governor, who was, you know, one of the most truly radical in his some of his liberal views. What a wild state Colorado is. So to some degree, the bigger story, the page one feature story is why Colorado? Why do these issues continue to show up? decade after decade after decade in Colorado. And I also would say it could have something to do with the extreme polarization in the state between Denver, Boulder versus the rest of the state, much like kind of tensions in Georgia between Atlanta and the rest of the state, Illinois between Chicago and the rest of the state, and the symbolism of Colorado Springs as the home of Focus on the Family, and being the city that years ago, I wish I had copyrighted this phrase and had the t-shirt rights, I called Colorado Springs Wheaton of the West, referring to Wheaton College, because of all of the evangelical parachurch groups that had moved to Colorado. And oh, by the way, there's even a connection there. It looked like at one point that Colorado was about to land the national headquarters for Campus Crusade for Christ. And Campus Crusade for Christ, I guess that's now called Crux. Campus Crusade for Christ pulled out of negotiations to move to Colorado because of that case that I mentioned earlier where this state official wanted to rule that some things were ministries and some weren't. For example, another thing that just leapt into my mind from back then, this official ruled that a nonprofit that only produced educational materials for use by missionaries in foreign missionary fields for specific denominations, that that group was not a nonprofit religious group and stripped it of its nonprofit status. Even though it was clearly a nonprofit, it was clearly religious. Once again, no, you're a secular publishing house. No matter what it is, you're actually publishing. I think that's the big story that someone in Colorado needs to write or some national magazine or website or maybe even cable news network needs to plunk somebody down in Colorado 
and ask that question. Why Colorado over and over and over? Terry Mattingly is senior fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thank you. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.